Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Today we we will begin a series of messages on prayer. So Matthew chapter 6, I'll be reading from verses 5 through 8. The word of the Lord says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who, is in, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray now as we turn to your word, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds to know and understand the true and living God. Help us, God. Lead us and guide us. Teach us, we pray, to learn how to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you a question. If you were to be walking with Jesus for the three years of his ministry and can ask him one question, Just one. What would you ask him? Perhaps you would ask him to answer some deep theological question that's always been on your mind. Uh, Perhaps you would ask him a question about the end times. You know, eschatology is a hot topic nowadays. Maybe you would ask him that. And you know, the disciples asked Jesus many questions during his ministry here. Some good ones and some not good ones. Peter asked an excellent question in Matthew 18, verse 21, where Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother that sins against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. I think that's a good question. The disciples asked another good question to Jesus about parables. Uh, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus gives uh, the profound answer as we find in the Synoptic Gospels. Yet sometimes the questions that the disciples asked uh, we're not so on the mark. Uh, when the Samaritans rejected Jesus in Luke chapter 9, James and John asked a question. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus, of course, rebukes them and says, you know not spirit of what you are. Uh, and so that wasn't such a good question. So what question would you ask if you, could, if you were here, there, walking with Jesus for three years. Perhaps one of the best questions asked by the disciples is found in Luke chapter 11. It says, while after Jesus was praying in a certain place, one of the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, just as John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. What a great question. And Jesus then in Luke 11 proceeds Uh, to teach them how to pray and gives them the abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer as what we'll see here in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6. Well, it was obvious to the disciples as they walked with Jesus for three years that he was a man of prayer. Although fully God, he was also fully man and he prayed often. It's mentioned of Jesus praying at least 40 times in the Gospels. 
not to mention the passages where Jesus stresses the importance of prayer, and not to mention that Luke in chapter 5, verse 16, says that he would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. The disciples had to have seen the direct correlation between Jesus' ministry and his prayer life, between his power and his prayers, between his humility and his prayers, between his dependence upon the Father and his prayers. Well, friends, prayer is absolutely essential to Christianity. It's essential. Charles Spurgeon once said that, quote, prayer is a creature's strength, his very breath and being. Martin Luther once said, quote, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible to be alive without breathing. In similar fashion, R.C. Sproul once said, quote, Prayer is to the Christian what breath is to life, yet no duty of the Christian is so neglected. John Calvin said of prayer, quote, Prayer is the chief exercise of faith. From start to finish, prayer is essential to Christianity. Prayer is essential to even being saved. How can a man be saved unless he calls upon the name of the Lord, repents of his sins, put his faith in Christ, and that's done by prayer? Prayer is essential to our sanctification. How can a Christian grow in Christ if he doesn't pray? How can he confess his sin? Seeking the Lord for help and guidance and wisdom and all that comes with sanctification. All that comes by means of prayer. Prayer is a true mark of a true believer. Show me a man that has no prayer life, and I'm not speaking about a man who struggles or a woman who struggles with prayer, but show me a man or woman that has absolutely no prayer life at all, and I'll show you a man who is unconverted. So what is prayer? Well, in its simplest form, as the Baptist Boys and Girls Shorter Catechism says, prayer is talking with God. Prayer is talking with God. In the fuller sense, in, in, our, in our Baptist catechism, it answers it this way. Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Prayer is one of those spiritual duties that is so vital, and yet, as R.C. Sproul says, so neglected. And neglect of prayer, brothers and sisters, those of you serving the Lord, prayer, neglection of it, is the main cause for Christians backsliding. Whether it's simply growing cold in our walk with God, to falling into gross sins, neglecting prayer is a root cause of believers going backwards in their walk with God. J.C. Ryle makes this very point in one of his writings. He says, quote, Backsliding generally first begins with neglect of private prayer. Bibles read without prayer. Sermons heard without prayer. Marriages contracted without prayer. Journeys undertaken without prayer. 
residences chosen without prayer, friendships formed without prayer, the daily act of private prayer itself hurried over or gone through without heart. These are the kind of downward steps by which many a Christian descends to a condition of spiritual palsy or reaches the point where God allows him to have a tremendous fall. This is the process which forms the lingering lots, the unstable Samson's, the wife-idolizing Solomon's, the inconsistent Asa's, the pliable Jehoshaphat's, the over-careful Martha's, of whom so many are to be found in the church of Christ. Often, the simple history of such cases is this. They became careless about private prayer. Prayer is vital, friends. And here in chapter 6, Jesus stresses the importance of prayer and gives us the motive and the manner by which we are to pray. And that's encapsulated in the Lord's Prayer. But before we get to the Lord's Prayer, we're going to look here in verses 5 through 8 about how Jesus corrects the wrong way to pray, the wrong motives, and the wrong manner in praying. We must understand, friends, that Jesus is King And therefore, we must submit to him in regards to prayer. He sets the rules for praying. Prayer to God is a form of worship, and we don't get to decide how to worship God. Not all prayers offered are acceptable in God's sight. Therefore, we must heed our Lord's instruction here when it comes to prayer. Your prayer life or lack thereof, could be off because you're not praying with the right motives or you're not praying in the right manner. As important as prayer is, we must lead into the text with the overarching theme of the passage and the overarching theme of the whole chapter, which can be summed up in the Latin phrase, Coram Deo. Quorum Deo is a Latin phrase that means before the face of God. It means living before the very presence and before the very face of God. This is the theme of the whole chapter. We see your father mentioned multiple times in chapter 6. Our lives both publicly, listen friends, and secretly must, or privately, public privately, must have what Martin Luther called a consciousness of the very presence of God. And this idea screams through the whole chapter, chapter 6. Your father sees what you do in public, but your father also sees what you do in private when nobody's looking and nobody's watching. Your father knows the motives for everything that you do. He knows why you do it. Your father even knows what you have need of before you even ask him. Your father is all-knowing. Your father is all-present. David expressed these truths in Psalm 139. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. And are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. 
He goes on to say that there's nowhere to escape from the presence of God. In verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. The point is, is that we should live in such a way, friends, that we are consciously aware and understand that God's presence is right here. It's right where you are. This will affect your life if you get this truth deep into your heart that it doesn't matter if you're around your family or around your church friends or you're privately in your home or you're around your coworkers. The presence of God is very real and we ought to live quorum Deo before the very face of God and be consciously aware that it doesn't matter your situation where you are, that God is right there. He is omnipresent. This will affect you if you get this truth deep into your heart. It will affect your very walk as a Christian. And this idea spills over to our prayer life. We must pray in a way that we have a conscience, conscience awareness of the real presence of God, our Father. So with, with that overarching theme and that idea, let's dive into this text. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. The first thing we're going to look at is how Jesus says not to pray. Here in our passage, Jesus rebukes the wrong motive and manner of praying. So first, he rebukes the wrong motive. Look at verse 5. He says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. So these people that he calls hypocrites are, are, have a motivation for praying, and that motivation was off. It was to be seen by others. And for sure, he doesn't name them, but he's speaking of the Pharisees, who he rebukes elsewhere for making long prayers to be seen by others, Matthew twenty three fourteen and Luke twenty forty seven, where he says, for appearance sake, you offer long prayers, or For pretense, you offer long prayers. He says these hypocrites love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with standing in the synagogues or in the street corners praying. But they do this with the wrong motive. Their heart is so that other people can see them and look upon them. Oh, wow, how holy that person is. Do you remember last week, you know, I talked about how these three examples, giving, praying, and fasting, were the three pinnacles of piety in the Jewish life. The more somebody gave, prayed, and fasted, the more they were viewed by their fellow Jewish brethren as holy. And the longer the prayer was, the more righteous they were considered. So that sometimes they would stand and pray for hours and hours. And to God, as he says in the next verse, all it is to him is just babbling. It's vain repetition. So these hypocrites are doing it for the wrong reason. And Jesus says in verse 5, they have their reward in full. They got what they want. They got what they want. Prayers offered up in pretense 
or for the wrong reasons, have no reward from the Father. Now, Jesus is not prohibiting public prayer or praying around other people and with other people. I'll show you here in a minute that Jesus prayed publicly and were commanded elsewhere to pray for one another. So that's not Jesus' point. The point that Jesus is making is to look at the motive. Why do you pray? When, it, when you do pray, why do you pray? Is it to look holy and righteous in front of your family or, or in front of your coworkers or in front of your friends? Is that why you pray? Because God does not accept that type of prayer. And prayer to God represents, in a way, our spiritual duties towards God. Now, remember, Jesus is addressing prayers specifically, but you, you don't want to miss the point is that he's using these illustrations to talk about our entire spiritual walk. And prayer, in a way, represents our duties to God. When we're praying to God, uh, we, are, um, we are commanded to pray. And so what are the other duties that you are due to God? So we want to look at not just prayer, but why do you do the other things that you're commanded to do to God in our worship? Why do you do those things like reading your Bible, uh, like going to church, uh, even listening to sermons and, and godly podcasts? Why do you do those things? Do you do those things to be seen by others, to look righteous? Do you even... Uh, maybe not make a show of it, but do you make it a point to share with people about all of the sermons you listened to this past week? Because you want them to know how holy you are because I listened to Vody Bauckham all week or John MacArthur all, all week or fill in the blank, whatever it might be, right? Is that the motivation for telling other people what you do? Uh, or are you doing it for the glory of God? Remember, friends, man looks at the outward, but God knows the heart. We must be very careful not to draw attention to ourselves when we're practicing our good deeds. And that's sort of the overarching uh, idea that he starts in verse 1 of the chapter is not to practice our righteousness to be seen of man. And, and this could be so, so subtle, can it, right? Even the idea of, of going into your prayer closet, so to speak, and praying in private uh, some people can even make that to be seen by other people because they want to tell everybody, hey, I can't make it because I was at home praying. Or sorry I'm late, I, got, I, got, I was in my prayer closet so long and I was praying, right? So this can be so subtle. The idea is that you're doing things to draw attention to your righteous acts. And that's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid the praises and the acceptance of man and have our audience be the audience of one, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So he rebukes the motive for praying, praying in the wrong motive. Second, Jesus rebukes praying in the wrong manner. Look at verse 7. He says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus says, do not use vain or meaningless repetition. For those that do, he says, believe that they will be heard for their many words. Now, this word that's translated as vain repetition, your version might say meaningless repetition, 
It's only used once in the entire New Testament, this Greek word. It means literally to stammer, to babble, to stutter, or to repeat the same things over and over, but in an idle, meaningless way, to babble. Uh, Some have supposed that the words derive from a king of Cyrene named Batis, and the word in the Greek sounds like this, Batis. And this king, he actually stuttered. He had a problem with stuttering. Others have attributed this word to another Batis, who, uh, Batis, who was an author of a tedious and wordy poems. He, just, he wrote poems that were tedious, long, just empty. And the idea here, when he says, like the Gentiles, your version might say heathen, pagan, the idea is not a type of person other than a, a non-believer is what he's referring to, the heathen or the pagans. He's saying don't be like them. These are not worshipers of God. The idea is that pagans believe they had to be so repetitive so that their false gods would hear them and give them what they were asking for. Uh, it, it's sort of similar to the prophets of Baal, if you remember, in, in um, I believe it was in First Kings. Uh, you know, where Elijah says, hey, let's test your God and, my, and, our, and the true God, right? And they pray, they built a fire, or they had a sacrifice with no fire, and uh, they prayed, it said to their God, for like half the day to their false gods. And then Elijah starts mocking them, hey, maybe your gods don't hear you. Speak a little louder, right? They were just over and over and over, babbling over and over, meaningless repetition, thinking that they had to do that so their false God would wake up. And give them what they want. So notice the contrast though. Here's where it gets interesting. Jesus says in verse 8. So there's the transition. Because of this. Do not be like them. Like the pagans. For your father knows what you need. Before you ask. Now that's a very interesting contrast. It seems to me that there must be a link between these vain repetitions, these babbling, don't do that, don't be like them. There must be a link between that and knowing that the Father knows what you need before you ask. But what's the link? The word here used in the Greek is guard. It means to be the reason for. Jesus is saying, don't be like them. Don't use vain repetitions. And this is the reason why. Because God, your Father, already knows what you need before you ask. Jesus is referring to those who treat prayer in a formulaic reason, uh, fashion, uh, use prayer as a formula to pull the right levers on God to get what they want. Jesus says, don't do that. Your, your, your God, your Father, he already knows what you need before you ask. You don't have to go on and on and on about what you need. Uh, Don't try to pull the lever to get what you want. Does that sound familiar? Because it does to me. We see that in the word of faith movement, where God has become a simple genie, and if you just repeat over and over and call it into fruition, and you you name it and claim it over and over, God must not hear you. So keep babbling, keep over and over, keep repeating it. Maybe God will give it to you. That is not how we are to pray. That is not how Jesus says to pray. We also see this in Roman Catholicism with the, with the, uh, with the repetitive prayer of the rosary, praying to 
uh, people we ought not to pray to. And just over and over again, as a rote type of way, God doesn't hear those prayers. So Jesus is telling them to rethink how you pray. God knows what you need before you ask, so stop worrying. Stop worrying about the things you think you need to pray for. And instead, he says in verse 9, pray then in this way. And then he gives a template, if you will, a way that we ought to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And we'll get to that in the upcoming weeks. But this also begs the question, folks, if God already knows what we need before we even ask, well, what's the point of praying? If God is sovereign, and he is, if he has declared the end from the beginning, and he has, why should we pray? What's the point? If he's ordained all things whatsoever shall come to pass, and he has, what is the point of praying? Will your prayers even matter? The Bible teaches yes. The Bible actually teaches both. That yes, God is sovereign. He has ordained all things whatsoever shall come to pass. He has declared the end from the beginning and the means to accomplish his will. He has a secret will and a plan. And the Bible says nothing can thwart God's plan. Yet, the Bible also teaches that our prayers matter. That our prayers matter. Are effective, that God answers our prayer according to His sovereign plan. So God not only has declared the end from the beginning and has a sovereign plan, He has also declared the means by which He accomplishes His will. And one of those means that He uses, brothers and sisters, is your prayers and my prayers. We cannot fall into a fatalistic mindset, knowing of the sovereignty of God, we can't fall into this fatalistic mindset by thinking, well, you know what? God's in control, right? He's going to do what he's going to do. He's already decided, so I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. Well, you are disobeying, first of all. And second of all, we have to understand that our prayers really do matter. That God has declared the means to the end. He answers our prayers according to his sovereign plan. So do our prayers really change things? Yes, but here's the beauty. Our prayers are not meant to change God. Our prayers are meant to change us. And when we pray, it changes us. So yes, absolutely our prayers matter. When we pray according to God's plan and God's purpose and as we see God's way to pray, it changes a whole lot. It changes us. And while I can't explain uh, how God's sovereignty and us praying for things and God answers them, I can't cross those two items, but I know that the Bible teaches us those. So absolutely, our prayers do matter. So those are the two ways Jesus says not to pray, not to have the wrong motives when we pray, and not to pray in the wrong manner as the pagans 
pray. So how does Jesus tell us how to pray? We're going to dive into that and even more so in the Lord's Prayer, but we're going to cover a few things here we see in the text. First, prayer, just as giving was, is assumed to be a regular practice. Look again at verse 5. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, when you pray, when you pray, not if you pray. He says, when you pray. It's assumed that Jesus, his listeners and his disciples, it's assumed that they will pray. It's assumed, brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, that you will pray. What a great privilege we have to pray to the God of this universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who created all things and upholds all things by the word of his, his hand. What a great privilege we have that this God whom we were enemies with, now we've been reconciled through the death of his son, that we actually can come before him with confidence boldly before the throne of God, not because of our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. What a great privilege we have to go to God in prayer, and yet often we neglect it. Often it's the last thing on our list. Often we only go to God in prayer when we're in trouble or need some sort of help. Because of the intercessory work of Christ, we can come before him. And we ought to strive to come before him. As the song says, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We must be a praying people, brothers and sisters. And Jesus starts by saying, when you pray, not if. Next, he tells us that our prayer should be in a private manner. This is the manner in which we are to pray in a private way. He says in verse 6, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He says, go into your inner room, close the door, pray in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you, and your version may even add, openly. The question to ask, though, is Jesus here prohibiting praying with others or praying publicly? Many have taken a very literal, a wooden literal translation to this to say there's, there should be never public prayer. Uh, there should be never praying out loud or praying with people because, you know, we need to pray in private, okay? But the answer is no, Jesus is not prohibiting praying with others or praying publicly. Jesus himself prayed publicly on multiple occasions. Do you remember each time he miraculously fed thousands? What did he do? If you read the accounts, for instance, in Mark six forty one. It says he took the five loaves and two fish and looking up towards heaven, he blessed them. What does it mean by blessing them? He invoked a public prayer of blessing for the food. He prayed publicly. And we see that multiple times with the examples of when he fed the thousands miraculously. But then when he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus also prayed publicly. John eleven forty one 41 says, So they removed the stone... 
Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, this is audibly, he said out loud, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. So here Jesus is praying publicly. So no, Jesus is not prohibiting public prayer. When Peter was in prison in Acts 12, where were the rest of everybody? They gathered at Mary's house, it said, and it says they were all praying. They all prayed together. They were praying for Peter's release. Jesus was not prohibiting public prayer or praying with others. We ought to do that. The point Jesus is making here in this verse is that when we do pray, whether it's private, whether it's public, praying with one another, when we do pray, our focus and intentions are to be on God and God alone. Our focus of our prayers are to be solely upon God. We are to pray to God, not about God, not about other people, but we are to pray to God. You're to shut all those around you. You are to mentally and spiritually go into your prayer closet and even shut out yourself and pray to your Father who is in secret. I was reminded from a very old song, and I don't listen to much contemporary music because 90% of it's garbage. But back in the day, it had some good stuff. And I say back in the day, I mean early 2000s when the Lord first saved me. But there was this, this, uh, this song, and it had some of the Lord's prayer in it. And it went to my audience of one. And the whole idea was when I'm worshiping and when I'm praying and when I'm singing, I have one audience. And that's the, that's the message that Jesus is giving with going into your closet and praying to your Father who's in secret, is when we're praying, either privately, publicly, with one another, we have one audience, and that's the King of Kings, and that's the Lord of Lords. Now, while we must certainly have times of private prayer, alone, in our room, even in a closet, if you wish, Jesus is using an illustration to rebuke the type of prayers that draw attention to ourselves, and that's what he's doing here. Many people, while praying publicly, literally pray to themselves or pray to the audience. Pastors are notorious for doing this, bowing their heads and then in prayer preaching a sermon to their congregation or even, God forbid, passively rebuking the congregation. And that's not how we are to pray. Even dads, you can fall into this trap during your family worship when you Gather your family around and you, you pray together. You are to not pray a sermon to your children. You are to pray to God. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. Prayers that are offered either audibly, publicly to God ought to be in the same manner as prayers offered privately to God with the same love and affection to Christ. The moment that our prayers are altered because you want certain people to hear certain things or to think you're more holy than you really are, you cease from praying to God. You don't have an audience of one at that point. And you, as Luke 18, the Pharisee says he was praying to himself. And that's all you're doing when you fall into that trap. So Jesus then begins in verse 9. He says, pray then in this way. Your version might say, therefore, 
pray in this way. In other words, because this is the wrong way to pray, because your motives and your manner for praying need to align to my will, and because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him, because of all of that, pray in this way. Pray in this manner. And we will begin to look at what this manner is, what this way is, how we are commanded to pray the next time. So in conclusion, I want to ask you, do you pray? Dear brother, do you pray? Dear sister, do you pray? Children, do you pray? Mom, do you pray? Dad, do you pray? Brother, do you pray? Sister, do you pray? And when you do pray, do you pray with the right motives? Do you pray for your audience of one, or do you pray for other people to hear things that are around you? Are you seeking to pray out of a heart of love, thankfulness, obedience, or do you pray only when you need something from God? Brothers and sisters, as we plumb the depths of the Lord's Prayer, my prayer is that it would call us into a deeper relationship with our Father as we grow in praying with the right motives and the right manner, and that we would learn to pray fervently, to pray without ceasing, to pray and not lose heart, that we would learn to watch and pray, that we would learn to ask, to seek, and to knock, that we would learn to be devoted to prayer, to continue steadfastly in prayer, to be not anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, letting our request be made known to God, that we would learn to cry out to the Lord day and night, that we would call upon Him early in the morning, throughout the day, and in the wee hours of the night, that we would be a people of prayer. And that is my prayer, brothers and sisters. Join me. Join me on this journey to deepen our walk with the Lord in our prayer life. And if you are convicted by this, welcome to the club because I've had this all week. Okay? So if this is convicting you, praise God. Repent. Ask God to help you because when you do it in your own strength, you get the glory. But when you repent and you seek God for His strength and you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, then who gets the glory? God gets the glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the great privilege we have, God, to carry all of our burdens and needs in prayer. Father, we are so undeserving to even be able to lift up our voices to you to pray, God, because we have sinned against you, Lord. We deserve your wrath, not your heart, not your love, not your ears to our prayers, God. Lord, we thank you. I thank you, Father, for the truth of your word, the the convicting power of your word, that you use your word, God, to conform us to the image of your Son. Father, I pray that you would use the words in this text and in the Lord's Prayer, God, to raise us up to be men and women, children of prayer. Father, that we would be known as people who pray. And may you get all the glory, we pray. 
In Jesus' name, amen.